And for the rest of you, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 and 2, which is the Christmas story, uh, focusing on, on Joseph this morning. Uh, Christmas season, um, we sometimes focus on our cholesterol. <laughs> There's good cholesterol. Uh, what is that? H- HDL or something, right? And then there's bad LDL, I think. In the same way, there's good fat and bad fat. You know, the bad fat would, be, would come as a result of the extra calories that we intake during this holiday season, and it's already begun. But there is good fat as well. It's a type of fat that God longs to see in all of his followers, those who are F, faithful, A, available, T, teachable. And God chose in his original story, he, he chose people who were fat, faithful, available, and teachable to be his primary characters in the incarnation of uh, his son, Jesus, coming, God becoming man and uh, his birth. And so we think of Joseph and Mary We think of Zechariah and Elizabeth. We think of the shepherds. We think of Simeon and Anna in the temple following the birth of Jesus. We think of the wise men or the magi. All of these people had human flaws, and yet they were fat. They were faithful, available, and teachable. Well, in the next few weeks, we'll be uh, focusing on characters who are faithful, available, and teachable. This morning, we're focusing on Joseph. Joseph was used uh, to come beside Mary to raise this, this child-born king of the world and, uh, and also to help raise Jesus as well as his son, this Messiah. Well, have you ever been to a Christmas pageant where, you know, little kids play the Christmas story and they dress up like animals and whatnot, and they, they have a crib. You might have seen it in church here, or you may have seen it in a school in the day, or you may see it uh, displayed in, in malls or whatnot. And, and it's always great when you audition for a part, and it, you're always very, very fortunate if you're chosen for Joseph, because Joseph doesn't have any lines to memorize. Did you know that if you were to read through the Gospels of the story of Luke and Matthew, there are no lines attributed to Joseph. He said nothing, nada, in Scripture, in the gospel stories of Jesus' birth. Rather, Joseph was known for what he did and for the attitude by which he did it. He's not known for what he said. Joseph was faithful in what he did, though. Matthew 1.18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph was known to be faithful to the law or God's word, the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, etc., He was faithful not by what he said, but by what he did and the attitude by which he did it. Well, how exactly, for example, did Joseph respond when he heard that his betrothed Mary was pregnant and not by him, her fiancé, 
Well, he could have responded in one of three ways. As a righteous, God-fearing, law-abiding Jew, Joseph could have sought justice for Mary according to the law of God. Deuteronomy 22, for example, says that if a woman becomes pregnant out of wedlock, she could be stoned according to the law, taken out and stoned to death, purging the apparent evil and immorality from the community. And in Moses' day, Mary would have been stoned, period. Or secondly, Joseph could have claimed his own innocence by pointing his fingers of accusation at Mary, thus exposing her sin and making an example out of her immorality. It wasn't me. This pregnancy was not of my doing. She's the one who betrayed me. She is the one who stabbed me in the back after all I've done for her. And Mary would have been found guilty in the court of public opinion. Or thirdly, this is the option that Joseph would have decided he would choose to do. The third option would be to divorce her quietly by by getting divorce papers written up only in the presence of two witnesses. It It would have been a private matter. Joseph would have wanted to protect Mary's reputation and then send Mary away to have the child But Joseph would still be crushed by this because he would have lost his forever fiancé wife future and he would have been crushed despite uh, the high road that he took. And so um, before before all this transpired, though, before he sent Mary away, before he signed the divorce papers, Joseph would have never guessed that there would have been a fourth option. And this fourth option came to him supernaturally through a dream, through an angel of God that spoke to him at night. In fact, Joseph had four dreams in the Christmas story. And we're going to look at these four dreams and what they mean to us this morning. First dream is in Matthew 1, verse 20. After he considered this, what? This being sending her away, signing the divorce papers, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from his sins. Joseph, take Mary home to be your wife, even though the child that she's bearing does not belong to you. She was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and you were to name him Jesus. In modern-day English translation would be Joshua, or in Hebrew or Greek, Yeshua, which means God saves. He'd be the Savior of the world. And, and so Joseph had this dream. I don't know if you've ever had a dream that you considered coming from God. I've had a couple in my lifetime, um, and I knew that, or or I suspected they were from God because they were so distinct, and I just felt they were. And by the way, things played out following the dream. I I knew that God confirmed that it was of him. And I won't get into the details of my dreams, but um, sometimes God does that. In fact, we're told in the end times, in the last days, Your young sons and daughters will prophesy. They will have dreams. They will have visions in the last days. 
And so God sometimes communicates to us through dreams, especially in other parts of the world where they, don't, they may not have the completed word of God. And this is prior to having the Holy Spirit released on the day of Pentecost that God gave, spoke to Joseph through dreams. Two weeks ago, I read about one such occurrence from a professor of New Testament, Michael Lacona from Houston Christian University. And he told about this miracle that happened just two weeks ago. He said, God is working in the midst of war. This news coming out of Palestine from a ministry, the underground Christian ministries that reaches out to Muslims. Over the past two days, we have ministered to hundreds of Muslim fathers who have lost most, if not all, of their children in the war. As we moved these men to safety, we fed them and washed their clothes and began to read the Bible to them, sharing the way of peace through Jesus. Then a big miracle happened. Last night, and this would have been a week and a half ago or so, last night, Jesus appeared to more than 200 of them in their dreams. And they've come back to us to learn more from God's word and are asking how to follow Jesus. I also read that in Africa, 16,170-some come to Christ every day and primarily through dreams. The word is, have you seen the man in white? Has he appeared to you? And people are coming to Christ, Muslims and, and atheists and whoever, they're coming to Christ because God loves everyone. And Jesus came to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Well, Joseph's dreams, uh, uh, this dream would have been good, yet it would have been difficult news for him to receive nonetheless because Joseph would have understood how problematic it would have been to share this fantastic story with the people from his hometown. Who in the world will ever believe that Mary was um, conceived by the Holy Spirit? Right. Well, people would draw their own conclusions about Joseph and Mary and Mary's pregnancy and then let the murmuring begin. It would have been difficult. Yet how did Joseph respond to this murmuring, to this message? Joseph, we're told in verse 24, when Joseph woke up from his dream, he did, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus in obedience to what the angel commanded him, the angel of God. You know, it's one thing to do and take her home to be your wife amidst all of the rumor mill and the murmuring and, and the gossip and all this and, and all the ramifications. But it's another thing to withhold having relations with your wife until her baby's born. And yet Joseph did that in obedience to scriptures. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And because of Joseph's obedience, God would use him to participate in the fulfillment of an ancient prophecy from Isaiah, thus bringing great honor and glory to God and proving that God is always faithful to his word. And here's the prophecy in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son 
And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And of course, they named him Jesus. God, God saves. Well, we're tested in certain ways like this too. Um, Joseph faithfully did what the angel commanded um, and believed. But have you ever been called upon God um, knowing full well that when you obey him, that others won't agree with your decision? Or they may even reject you. They may not accept you. They may not respect you. This is so common. And it starts in elementary school, especially middle school. When kids say, I'm not going to do the party life. I'm not going to go and sneak to the beer blast and, and smoke joints. And I'm not going to do that. And so guess what? These kids are left in the dust. I know because I was one of those kids who was left in the dust. A lot of my friends from elementary school, they ditched me in middle school. It was a very lonely experience. Same with high school and college. Or if you tell your boyfriend or girlfriend that you want to remain sexually pure until marriage. Or if you share your testimony with someone of God's faithfulness, they might think, what? You become a religious wacko? And they might reject you. Or if you share your conviction of truth, even when it's politically incorrect in our culture, you will be misunderstood. Well, Mary would give birth to God's child, her son, and Joseph would name him Jesus, Jesus, and Mary would as well. And Jesus would raise um, as a child. They would raise him as a child. Meanwhile, uh, these wise men from the east, they came and they worshiped Jesus. It might, may have taken a year, year and a half, two years for these magi who first saw the star in the sky hanging above Bethlehem. They found out, and they followed him to Jerusalem. They met with King Herod and told him, hey, there's this king who's born, king of the Jews. And so they followed this, this star, and they worshiped Jesus, presented gifts to Jesus, who is now one, over one, one and a half, two years old. And then it was at this point that Joseph would be given a second dream. In Matthew 2, verse 13. When they, the Magi, had gone after worshiping Jesus, presenting gifts, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. In other words, Joseph, get out of Dodge as soon as you can. ASAP, your child is in danger. Your child is a wanted child. Now, Herod was an evil ruler, and he would not be pleased to hear that there was another king born king of the Jews, when, and he heard this from the Magi, and so when he, um, when he unpacked it, when he dug for more details, he learned that this, this baby would be born in Bethlehem, and, and so he, he said, okay, well, we're going to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem ages two years and under. And so Joseph was given this dream to get out of uh, Bethlehem and escape to Egypt. And you might be thinking, well, that, that's cool. It's cool, God saved their skin, and uh, that's great. But Joseph, Joseph's faith would have been tested. How would he respond? So Joseph, what did he do? He got up. He did. He took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. And he stayed there until the death of Herod. And you might be thinking, okay, that's, that's great. Have you thought about this? Jesus, Joseph, and Mary had to head off to Egypt 200 miles 
through rugged and dangerous terrain. That would be the distance of us after church. We're going to do a little crescendo project. We're just going to meet outside in the parking lot. We're going to walk to Kansas City. Who would like to join us? 200 miles to Kansas City. You know, Lynn and I drove back from Kansas City last night, and a week ago after Thanksgiving, celebrating with our kids, we drove back in the snowstorm last week at 35 to 40 miles an hour, and we decided to go I-70, Kansas City. Oh, we're coming upon Lawrence. Yay. Oh, Topeka. Manhattan. Abilene. Every, every little segment felt like a family vacation, you know. It took us forever to get home, it felt like. But literally, as I was driving home or listening to Christmas music and then the K-State game and all that, literally, the Lord spoke to me and he said, you are preparing for Joseph and Mary's trek to Egypt. They walked the distance you're driving. Don't complain. And so I had no reason to complain after I thought of Joseph and Mary and his willingness to pack up the bags and take off overnight in obedience to God's command through the angel. How long would we be in Egypt, Joseph may have asked. I don't know. Uh, what, what am I going to do once I get there to support my family? Uh, I don't know. Um, how will we be accepted as Jews in a Gentile land? Uh, I don't know. But the angel of God told us to go. And so Joseph obeyed. And in so doing, Joseph, Joseph would once again bring glory to God by fulfilling another ancient prophecy, validating God's faithfulness and testimony to the world that God is always faithful to his promises. Verse 15, and so was fulfilled what the Lord said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. And that comes from the book of Hosea. Sometimes we're tested. Has God ever asked you to do something or go someplace that would stretch you beyond your comfort zone? And then you're given a test. You're given a choice. Like five years ago, I was asked to hop on a bus with a bunch of strangers uh, after driving to Kansas City. It was a covenant thing. I was serving on the Midwest Covenant board at the time. I did not want to go. I'd, I'm claustrophobic. I didn't want to get on a bus and travel with a bunch of people to the deep south to learn about all the civil rights stuff. I, that would be okay, but I didn't want to live three days and nights on a bus with these strangers. Furthermore, the bus driver, first thing he said is, oh, there's a bathroom back there, but I would encourage you not to use it because of ventilation in this bus, and you know what I mean. And I said, oh, great, this is awesome. I was, I was panicky, but as soon as I sat down on the bus, and it was dusk, I remember, and I sat ne next to my partner. We were partnered up with a person of color, and so it was half, half of people of color, half Caucasian folks, to learn from each other as you visited the civil rights stuff, like where Martin Luther King got, got shot and the, the bridge that, where they marched, etc. And I, I learned a ton, but as soon as I sat down, I felt the peace of God just fill me like he was pouring his peace into me, and I loved my experience for the next three days living on a bus and sleeping on a bus. And did I mention that my partner was like 280 pounds and he took up three-quarters of the seat that I had to sleep in? But he's a great guy, though, awesome guy. Learned a lot from him. 
Oswald Chambers writes, God will never reveal more truth about himself until you have first obeyed what you already know. He tests us. And if we're unwilling to do anything, then he won't reveal much more until we take that step of faith. Well, Joseph was given a third dream. We don't know what transpired in Egypt. It may have been up to two years before Herod died. We know historically that King Herod died at 4 BC. Uh, But Joseph's dream in verse 19 of chapter 2. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph while he, he was in Egypt and said, Get up, take your child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So what did Joseph do? Or what did he say? He said nothing. He has no speaking parts, remember? But what did he do? He did exactly what he always did. He obeyed. He got up. He took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. What could Joseph have been thinking at that time? He might have been thinking, man, this is a blessing, God. Finally, we get to return to our people, our homeland. Oh, this would be awesome. Mary, we can raise Jesus in Bethlehem right next to Jerusalem. You know, right, you know, that, what, a, what a great small town to raise our Messiah child. There's no better place. It's, it's, it's the perfect place for our religion. And maybe Joseph would have been singing, hey, I'll be home for Christmas. Mary, he wrote that song. You know, life was good. But then, another test. Verse 22, when Joseph heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Plans came to a screeching halt. Archelaus, he's now the king. He's he's far worse, or for what we hear, he's far worse than his father Herod. We can't possibly settle in Bethlehem near Jerusalem. Another huge disappointment. They might have been thinking, okay, this is par for the course. It makes no sense what God's doing in our lives, but what did he do? He still obeyed until he heard the news. Our test, have we ever question what God was doing, his timing, his leading in our lives, and everything seems to come to a screeching halt. And he redirects all of our plans, and we think, God, what are you doing? Perhaps you've interviewed for a job that you were praying for, but you didn't get it. Perhaps you got laid off from your job. God, what are you doing? Perhaps your engagement to be married to your fiance was called off. Perhaps you haven't been able to get pregnant as a couple. Perhaps you were falsely accused by someone and your life was uh, turned upside down. Perhaps you got sick right before vacation. Or perhaps someone died at an unexpected time in your life and it threw you for a loop. Whatever the case, if we're like Joseph, we'll say, God, I don't understand what you're doing. I really don't. And it changes everything about my future it seems. But God, I know that you're sovereign and that you're in control and I will continue to trust you and follow you. There's one last dream in verse 22b. Having been warned in a dream about Archelaus, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he was told to go live in Nazareth. And he went and lived in the town called Nazareth. Some 70 miles north of Bethlehem, Nazareth, 
up, up the you know, Jordan River up north. They would settle there. Another three or four day journey on foot. No big deal, right? No big deal. Hey, instead of walking to Kansas City today, we're going to walk to, you know, seven miles past Abilene. But it'll be okay because we'll take a pit stop at Russell Stover. So it'll be all right. Joseph would have been tested. Joseph would have once again had to change his plans, reroute his family, and move back to his hometown. And this would have not been a small matter because the hometown people, they're the ones who probably were thinking, oh, they say, they say this child is a Messiah, right? Born of the Holy Spirit, right? Why would we go back to Nazareth to face all the gossip and all the rumors? be misunderstood, be rejected, be ignored. People would be talking behind our backs. And yet they went back to Nazareth. And it would have been a great place to raise their child. But not initially, because Nazareth, it's Nowheresville, it's Mayberry RFD. It's an insignificant backwoods town. Gregory Dawson said of, of Nazareth, it's an obscure little town, one of about 200 such little towns in that area. Furthermore, Nazareth would have been um, ruled by Roman military. It would have been a base in the north for the Roman, uh, Ro Roman soldiers. In fact, if you were to look at archaeology of Nazareth, you'd discover Roman baths in the center of Nazareth where the Romans would just enjoy themselves. And if you remained in Nazareth during this Roman occupation, then you would have been considered a compromiser. You'd have been considered a Roman sympathizer. Nazareth or, or Nazarene would have been misunderstood as a derogatory put-down. You're from Nazareth. You are a loser. How could this be a good place for Jesus' reputation as Messiah? Nathaniel would tell Philip one day, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The Pharisees reacted to Nicodemus. Are you from Galilee too, which is where Nazareth was? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. But how did Joseph respond? He once again went and lived in the town of Nazareth. And once again, because of Jesus, or Joseph's faithful obedience to the command of God through the angel, it brings glory to God through yet another prophecy in verse 23b. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. And it turns out that Nazareth would have been a perfect choice for Joseph and Mary to raise their son because Nazareth would come to represent Jesus' messianic ministry. Jesus came to reach the least and the lost and the last the forgotten, the overlooked, the misunderstood, the broken, the disqualified. And I believe Joseph, Joseph would have demonstrated this type of attitude living in Nazareth as he cared for people. He would have demonstrated this to his son and been an example to his son Jesus as he had the privilege to raise the Messiah of the world. And Jesus would grow up and he would be accused himself of eating with sinners and tax collectors and Jesus would one day teach, healthy people don't need a physician, but sick ones do. I did not come to call the righteous people, but sinners. 
He said, elsewhere, I've come to seek and save the lost, the poor, the foreigners, the aliens, the strangers, the orphans, the widows, the children. He said, let the little children come to me, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. These are the least of these. Jesus himself would identify himself as a Nazarene. When Saul was persecuting Christians, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And and Saul said, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. I identify with those who are being persecuted. And we should be glad that he does because oftentimes we feel like we're the least and the last and the lost and the unqualified or underqualified. We feel like we don't measure up. We're inconsistent. We're just weak. We're nobodies. Our test is to believe that we are not nobodies, as Pastor Jeremy prayed, that we belong to God. And our test is also, are we willing to accept those who the world deems as nobodies, the least? Or do we, would we prefer to hang out with the people of privilege, you know, the winners? Again, a middle school mindset. I wanna be in the popular group. I wanna sit at the popular table. I want to be the qualified people, the gifted, the insiders, the pretty people. That's who I want to be identified with. I don't want to be identified with those people over there. Who are you willing to welcome in your life? Not just to say hello to at church, but to invite over. To say, come and share a meal. I want to be your friend. And how we relate to the least of these will be how we will be received in God's kingdom one day. We're told in Matthew 25, when, when we stand before Jesus, Jesus is going to say, hey, um, when I was hungry, y- you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to eat. When I was imprisoned, you came and visited me. When I needed clothing, you clothed me. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. And, and we'll respond, Lord, when were you ever, the, I don't remember you being hungry and thirsty. And he will respond, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. And, and if we do so in obedience to God and, and his calling on our lives, then he'll say, well, do, well done, good and faithful servant. Dale Bruner says Jesus will not greet his followers on that ne- in the next world with words, well done, good and flashy ser- servant, or well done, good and gifted servant, or well done, good and powerful servant, or popular servant, or well done, good and influential servant, successful servant. No, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And remember, there are no recorded words in Scripture that Joseph, Joseph said. But like Joseph, may it be said of us that we were faithful, that we simply did what he commanded. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the word of God that is living and active and is powerful to transform us as we sit under its authority by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord Jesus, I don't know how you're speaking to each one of us this morning, but you are here by your Spirit and you're tugging at our hearts. You are wanting to give us a special word specifically for each of us individuals. 
or perhaps collectively as a church, Lord. But we want to be open, have ears to hear what you have to say to us, especially as now as we commune with you at your table. Amen.